I open the menu to see a Caesar salad that is already $19. Adding chicken to that Caesar salad was $15. (laughs) That's a very good, optimistic way of looking at things, right? I call myself a renaissance man all the time because I can't commit to hobbies. My hobby is having hobbies. So I'm constantly learning new things. I find myself very drawn to people who are a jack of all trades. You're so funny. (laughs) Macy, it's so great to have you. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. So I love Morning Brew in general and your content. Congratulations in the 1 million. Thank you. Subscribe on Instagram. And I was just curious about what happens behind the scenes And I know you're from Oklahoma and there's a lot about, I think, your journey, like from Oklahoma now to New York. I think you lived in Europe for a while as well. So first things first, I I think the the last video that I saw about the bookstore that only focuses on like romance books. Yeah. And how does like a project like that come to life? If you can take us back to the very early, okay, let's do this and then to actually filming. Yeah, so that one specifically, I had seen a lot of stories about that bookstore and I am a huge bookstore fan, I love to read. And I love especially a unique bookstore like that one. And that's not a kind of bookstore I've seen before that only sells romance novels. So I thought about ways that we could cover the store. So at first I wondered if it could fit into like, how are you still in business series that I have going? But at the end of the day, I decided even though they only sell one genre, you understand fundamentally how a bookstore functions. What I've started to do now is branching out from a series. I've realized that I can still just cover a business as a profile of that business. This one, I spun it into a bit of a book talk angle because of the way that romance books have thrived because of book talk. And this store basically exists because romance books got so popular on BookTok. So I had this idea. I wanted to cover the store. I decided that I would just do a general business profile of it. So I pitched it to my manager every week. I start my week by reading through the news and coming up with pitches for my manager. I included this one in my pitch sheet. And I said, all right, besides the news, here are my other pitches that aren't to do with news stories this week. And I said, I want to go talk to this bookstore. I want to interview them and I want to tie it into the book talk angle and how book talk affects bookstores and romance in particular. That's so cool. So it really started from you. Like you had this idea that you pitched. Our content is really fun for us to make because we don't have assignments. My assignment is to make three to four short form social videos a week on topic related to business news. So that is, that's a lot. It's a a lot. I have a lot of support. I am certainly not a a one woman team, but it it is also my full-time job to make three to four videos. So when you think about that, 40 hours a week, this could be 10 hours into each video. So that's mainly like the expected output. Three. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've started dabbling in longer length YouTube videos as well, but it's mostly the social stuff. So I think the, I don't know, like from your LinkedIn spying, (laughs) you are a social media, I don't know, producer. Yeah. And you talked about like creating these videos, but then when you have this social kind of like added to the title, 
What does that mean to be a social media like producer of videos? So I started at Morning Brew in a traditional social media editor role, and I was running essentially. I was posting on our Instagram and our Twitter, and then I ended up focusing more on Twitter, which was super fun. I loved the pace of Twitter. So how I shifted into social video, what that means is we have video producers at Morning Brew whose job is to produce like YouTube videos strictly. And they don't really make social videos. Maybe they'll make one every once in a while, or they'll make a shortened version of their YouTube video to go on our Instagram. So my role is just creating videos. We try to keep our social videos up to two minutes and 30 seconds. But those are the like short form vertical, like TikTok style videos. Oh, interesting. I thought you were always video, but then you were writing more, like more text, and then you moved to video. Right. So I was doing tweets, which when I was doing tweets, if you think three to four videos a week sounds like a lot, tweets, I think it was one tweet every 30 minutes was essentially my goal for six hours a day. That's nuts. It was a lot. But the thing is, there's lots to tweet about in business news. There's lots that's always going on. I could make a quick meme and throw it out there. I could talk about earnings for the day. I could check in on the stock market. So there was a lot to talk about. It was very fast paced, but I did enjoy that. Um, two things, like when you talk about writing, and this is something that like I'm, I need to write, I don't know, content just for my own personal brand. But any tips that you had or like principles that you use to have that much output. So you read something, what kind of things were you reading and how much were you maybe curating versus like, you know, original content producing? Definitely a lot of curation. When you're trying to produce that much content, curation is, is absolutely essential. And Morning Brew is known for our curation. That's what the newsletter right. is. Like most of our stories are linking out to other articles. A lot of the stories, even towards the bottom of the newsletters, aren't really written by us at all. We just like type out the headline of somewhere else and we're like, hey, go read this. So curation is definitely in our playbook. So I got to do a lot of that on Twitter. As far as my content intake, when I'm trying to put out that much content, I would use news aggregator sites. So I'm not even reading through the Bloomberg homepage. I'm reading through techmeme.com is one of my favorites. That's all tech news. So it's just literally a list of headline links. So I'm just reading headlines. And then when something catches my eye, I click it because I just need them all in that clean of a list. I do another one called Feedly where it'll do essentially the same thing. It's a headline aggregator, but you can go by publication. So I'll look at everything Business Insider has put out today. And then I'll look at everything Bloomberg has put out today. How much time would you say you spend on doing that? When I was on Twitter, it was either I was reading through those or I was actively writing a tweet. Now I do that wow. a lot less because on Twitter, I was covering so many stories per week because it's such a short format. Whereas now I cover essentially three to four stories a week. Really, I only do that on Mondays when I'm trying to catch up on everything that's happened, everything that I should talk about this upcoming week. Or if it's midweek and I feel like I have no more content to talk about, then I'll go back to those. And you just have to use your judgment, like your taste or, oh, this is going to hit or this is good. Yeah. But how do you know if something is interesting? So it comes with time. I've gotten a feel for our audience over time. We know specifically, for example, like soccer works for us on Twitter, but not Instagram. So if we're doing 
which I think that's true. That might be a made up example, but things like that. So for example, interesting, messy, bringing in all this money for the MLS and Apple TV and all those deals happening there. We know that content's going to perform better on our Twitter than our Instagram. And that's just like a random thing with our followers for some reason that like our Twitter followers are sportier for whatever reason. Or we'll know that some topics are going to be too businessy for Instagram. And our audience on Instagram isn't going to be that interested in like the dirty details of a super dry business story, whereas our Twitter audience will be more willing to interact with a post like that and is more interested in that. But it is a lot of judgment. It's a lot of learning over time. And like I said, I have a, I, I'm not a one woman team. So a lot of my team members have been there for a lot longer than I have. So we'll bounce stuff around. It's very interactive. A lot of us are in the office just bouncing ideas around. I wonder what it is like to work at Morning Brew because I'm sure it's not how it looks, but it does look like you guys are just jamming things and then it becomes a content. I don't know how much of it is improvised and how much is actually acted or performed. Yeah. Today, for example, we were bouncing a ton of ideas around and it was probably about what you're picturing, just as silly and improvisational. But then once we brainstorm ideas out, we try out a few bits, see how that would go, try some jokes. Then we sit down and I'll take a script and really write it out. And then we'll film and act it out. And it gets a little more serious and structured, but we definitely start with a lot of joking around together. An experimentation. Like I, it looks like so much fun, but I'm all about having fun. But then the amount of content that is being put out is like insane. So it must be also pretty demanding. Or no? It is definitely demanding. I think that's where the fun comes in as a necessary component is that if I wasn't in the office, which it's completely optional for us to go into the office, I don't even have to live in New York if I don't want to, but I go in three days a week, if not more, because my job is so much more enjoyable when I'm sitting there with my coworkers. I can brainstorm out an idea with them. I can go, hey, do you think this is funny? What if I tried the joke like this instead of this? Or do you think this angle is funny? Should I do this as a parody or should I do it as a straight explainer? If we can talk through the ideas like that, it makes the job so much easier and so much more fun that even when you get to the parts that are taxing and are more difficult, it's fine. Like you can make the load a little lighter. Totally. I was in New York a couple of weeks ago and like things are so expensive, but I did notice that in all the menus, you have the option to add protein. <laughs> I love the post about adding chicken. That- like how did, does that idea, if you can take me back to the first, I don't know, three seconds where that idea is born, like right. how th- an idea like that is born. I'm sitting at my I was surrounded by my closest friends and my sister who came to dinner with me. To be fair, at an expensive-ish restaurant, it's at the TWA Hotel at JFK, which is a stunning place. It's like a time capsule of the 1960s. There's a restaurant in it by the chef, Jean George. I opened the menu to see a Caesar salad that is already $19. Adding chicken to that Caesar salad was $15. (laughs) And it was a great, I I ordered it and I fucking (sighs) it. In that moment, I looked at my friends and I said, I should make a video about the ridiculous cost. Oh, wow. And that was in July. And the video only just got made. 
Because what very frequently happens is with a video like that, that I feel really strongly about, and I feel like would be very funny. Sometimes that one is not tied to anything super timely. I don't have to rush to get it out. Whereas if I had a news story that week that I was like, oh, I need to do this because it's tied to the news this week. I can't make it next week. Then the ad chicken story gets pushed because it's not tied to anything. Then what else happened with the ad chicken story is I couldn't come up with like the ending bit yet where I was like cutting up my own chicken at the restaurant. (laughs) And since I didn't have to get it out at a certain time, I took my time with that one. And so that one, I think I was like working on for a month and a half, not full time working on it, but thinking about it. Things are like there is a burst. The idea is born. And then you wait until the time is ready. Right. So it seems like some ideas are very spontaneous. Oh, let's do it. And then it could be like very quick. Yeah. Whereas those stories can take a while. Um, From the second we have an idea to the time that the video is finished editing is 30 minutes. If it's a little video, some of Dan's best videos are like that. And we always laugh about him. I can't think of an example of one of mine, but... So Dan's one of the Apple presenter hands where he was making fun of public speaking. <laughs> that one was one that, that was awesome. From the minute he thought of the joke to the minute it was finished editing, I think was less than 15 minutes. So sometimes they are oh very Oh my fast. God. And then sometimes- Does he edit himself? Yeah. What does he, what are some, if we get into the tactical, I'm like old school- like mouse, like on the computer, give me a big monitor. But tactically speaking, how can you make that video that fast? When I make fast videos, what happens is it has to be a video that's a light edit. Oh, one of mine that was super fast was a Salesforce one where Salesforce announced that they would donate $10 a day for employees that came into the office up to $2.5 million. And so I very quickly was like, that's hilarious. That's so manipulative. I did a video, it's a format we use a lot where I pose myself as an executive giving a speech to a conference room and behind me is a screen that's a PowerPoint. I wrote out a few lines of what I was going to say because I wrote out a few lines of what I was going to say. I ran it by my manager. He said, yeah, that's super funny. Go film it. I set up a tripod in the conference room. I filmed it. Then the edit on that is super quick because it's one shot. I just take out the pauses in between the sentences. And then sometimes we add music to the back, we add captions and that's all. So we just, I just open Premiere on my laptop and take out the pauses and add captions. That's it. Oh my God. So sometimes it's super simple. Anything that is even lighter or more simple. Oh, totally. When I make videos for like my personal content on like my TikTok or Reels or whatever, I use CapCut which is the app that's made by ByteDance, TikTok's parent company. I use CapCut, which is you can just split up the clips, take out the spaces, move stuff around. And then I use TikTok's in-app captioning. Works really well for me. I like it a lot. And then now TikTok even has the feature where you can download your draft without posting it. So you can download that video after it's been edited and it doesn't have that TikTok watermark on it. So you can do all your editing there. And then you have this video that you can export to Reels without the TikTok watermark. You have it there that you can post it to TikTok. When When I do my own videos, that's what I use. 
This is so cool. Just to see like, oh my God, there's, there's this other way. And like, I had no clue. I think there's so many videos and you are the talent. So probably somebody's following you and filming you. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> or are you asking somebody to hold the camera? No, I always have. <laughs> so what's the, what's the minimum team that goes to like the, the chess, you know, video that you had? Yeah. So some of those we've been filming for YouTube as well. That's something we're experimenting with the series is do we like them as YouTube videos that are about seven minutes long as much as we like them as social videos that are about two minutes long? Are we really adding something to the story, making it seven minutes is what we're asking ourselves. As we've been filming for both social and YouTube, what's been happening is it's me. Typically, it's my manager filming. His name is Uber Bautista. He's amazing. Uber is filming on iPhone. We have a social iPhone. So your manager goes with you. Yeah, he goes with me. He's wow. He's super involved. He's not like upper level anything. A lot of the videos that I make are videos that he wrote. He just doesn't want to be in front of camera. Wow. So for example, we did a video explaining has Supreme as the brand lost its value when it's fine, yeah. company, right? Like ha has their brand value gone down? And he wrote that whole video. I was just the one in front of the camera and then he edited. So he's like super involved. And a lot of the stuff you're watching is his content and his ideas. He just doesn't like to be on camera. So for the, how are you still in business series? Right. What happens is it's either me, my manager filming on iPhone, and then another one of our creators, Evan for love filming on a big shoulder rig, like big, like TV right, right. camera. That's if we're filming for YouTube, we bring the big camera, but some of them are just me and my manager or my coworker, Evan, with an iPhone. So sometimes it's just two of oh us. Oh my God. IPhone. Just an iPhone. Mics. We always have mics too, but just iPhone. Just the iPhone. I think one of the videos that you had at, at the airport. Yeah. We're just like walking around. I didn't even have So I was wondering, like, was that totally spontaneous where maybe like you were walking, oh, I'm going to do a video or that was also approved by your manager. No, I'm going to do this video. Out. That was actually his idea. He sent me this link. There was a CNN article and he sent me this link and he said, hey, I kind of like this story. Like, because I do think people are wondering that. And I was like, oh, that is interesting. And then he was like, oh, you're flying to Florida this week. Would you want to film it in the airport? That would be more interesting than like sitting at a desk. And so I was like, yeah, of course. So I took the article he sent me and I wrote out a full script and then I brought, I could have filmed it on my iPhone, but I brought one of our morning brew iPhones with me. Just filmed my phone. Oh, wow. That is so cool. And then when you say, you know, I just wrote this script so easy, but writing is so hard for me. So when you say I wrote this script, is this something easy for you? How do you write the scripts that like, you know, they seem very easy for you? They're definitely not easy. It's something that I've gotten really good at while I've been working at Morning Brew. And I think it helped a lot that I started on Twitter because with Twitter, you have to get to the root, the most important piece of information because you don't have room to include anything else in a tweet. So you have to get to the absolute most important piece of that information and keep it literally as brief as it gets. It's actually nice because now I can write more and I don't have to be as brief. It still takes me time, but essentially I pull out the way that I think about it is what interested me in covering this story? What part of this was the thing that made me go, oh, 
I should talk about this. People will be interested in that because whatever made me originally interested in it is probably what's going to make the viewer interested in it. So we try to highlight that, pull that out first, really focus the writing around that. And the other thing- Do you lead You lead with that, with that? With that. Yeah, is that I'll lead with, and generally I like to lead my videos with a question. So did you ever wonder, or have you noticed that your walk to your, your mm. have you noticed that your walk to your plane is getting longer? Leading with that, yeah. The question about writing, this is funny because I, I taught English just to like non-native speakers in Korea for the longest time. Yeah. And Morning Brew was one of the newsletters I would recommend people to sign up for. That's so fun. Because I, I was like, this is like the modern way of speaking English. It's like snappy, it's fun. So all of that is written. So when I look at a piece from the social media account, like one video, mm -hmm. I just feel like one person did the whole thing. Just because everything seems very well meshed together. But do you guys have a copywriter? Like how does it separate it? You mean different videos? The caption. No, like the caption and the video and the script. I feel like one person did the whole thing. Generally, the person who made the video writes the caption. Morning Brew has such a strong voice that we all are always adjusting our voice to fit the Morning Brew voice. So I write the captions for my videos, but I don't write them the way that I would caption them on my personal account. I write them the way that I would caption them as the Morning Brew account. So we all keep that voice in mind. So I'm glad to hear that voice feels coherent. But no, we don't have copywriters writing the video captions at all. The video creators write the captions for the videos. Oh, wow. I try to fit it with two of the morning brews boys. Like, what are some of the cues? And you know what I'm asking? Because sometimes I'll work with a YouTuber and they'll ask for help. Monica, can you write, I don't know, like a sponsor plug? Or can you help me write a script for this particular product? Yeah. I'm trying to understand their voice and I, and I don't know what I'm looking for. For morning brews voice, I feel like the things that stand out are that it's informative, but it's certainly not formal. It's not trying to be like Gen Z or anything or like trying to use like slang and funny stuff. It just is, in my head, I try to phrase things how I would tell it to a friend if I was excited about this. So when I'm writing scripts or when I'm writing captions, I'm thinking if I was just telling my friend, oh my God, hey, I just saw this story about how walks to air your plane at the airport are getting super long. Like apparently it's because, so I'm trying to, Go back to that tone in my head of not fluffing it up at all. Just how you would tell it to a friend if you were excited to tell them something. There are some other things where I feel, oh, this is really trying to be something. And then Morning Brew, it's just like really cool or like effortless, right? And I don't know how to replicate that. It's hard. I think a lot of it is the company culture. There's nothing that I've experienced at the company that's anyone's freaking out and being like, that didn't sound cool enough. We need to make sure that we're hitting all these metrics and we need, there's none of that. It's just like, we know what we do. We have great people on our team who know what they're doing and they're trusted to do the work that they were hired for. So then they don't feel any pressure. And I think we hire people and we hire writers. Like when I was hired for social media, part of the application was to submit, I think it was five Instagram posts and five tweets in the voice of Morning Brew. So it was a test of here are five stories 
make them into Instagram posts and make them into tweets in our voice. And that included adding memes, that included writing the captions, that made the, the images of the Instagram posts. So I think that we test people well to see if they can get that voice and if that voice comes naturally to them. And then if it does, then they can just do it. It's a matter of, again, fit. And it's this thing hard to explain. I just, I feel like it's really hard to explain like why it works, but it does. I think one common theme at Morning Brew that maybe people don't know is that a lot of the employees on our staff, certainly an outsized percentage, are stand-up comedians. Oh. A lot of people at the company do stand-up comedy. Um, on the side? Just on the side. Dan does it. I know. I, I thought it was just Dan because no, he's no, no. hilarious. It's not just Dan. I do stand-up comedy, the newsletter writing. About- you do stand-up comedy? Mm-hmm. How did that start? I started doing stand-up last summer, actually. I, it was something I'd always thought about doing. And then I just saw an open mic near me. So I just wrote my set and went. I was told by my manager that was one of the reasons they chose me over other hires was because they thought if she does stand up, she's probably funny and it looks like she has her style down. And even if she doesn't, we can teach her to have our style down, but we can't teach her to be funny. At least if she's funny, we have that. Oh my God. This is, do people know about this about you? I don't know. It's something that I'm trying to do more and more. I've only done it for a year and I think you were cool and now you're like double cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that I've been thinking about doing a lot more of and posting a lot more of. That's one of my, one of my big goals for the year is posting more on my personal accounts and posting more like comedic and sketch content because I really enjoy doing it at work. It just is that I do it all day at work. So then it's a lot tired. Right, right. This is so cool. So like when you say, no, it says, okay, I wanted to learn yoga. I'm going to take yoga class. But you're talking about stand-up comedy that to me, not everybody can do. But you're talking about it as, oh, you just do it. And I just wrote my set and I just went. Can you learn to be funny? Is this something learnable? I think you can learn to be funny. I'm actually learning to be funnier right now. Um, (laughs) How? Morning Brew is great. Morning Brew is very eager to promote employee growth and development. So the company is currently paying for me to take a sketch copy writing class. So I go to that every Saturday for three hours. And what do you, what do they teach at those classes? Those classes are great because it's writing sketches, which is what I do all day at work. But now I have the vocabulary of, oh, that's what I'm doing when I write a joke like that. It's this kind of joke. And then I can understand the science of writing sketch comedy better, which I've already noticed an improvement in my own sketches and my own writing is that it's coming easier to me and it's making more sense to me as I do it. When something works, I'm now understanding why it works. And when something doesn't work, I understand why it didn't work. This is like my brain exploded. You're like engineering comedy or like engineering fun or I don't know, this moments. And you're saying that people can learn this. I really do think you can learn it. Wow. Um, I think you can definitely learn tricks and formats that make things funnier. And I'm all about, I love courses and I love- learning together online mostly because I have two kids and it gets crazy but any courses that it could be a cohort-based course that is not in person to learn comedy or to learn how to write the sketches or be funny I know so I'm doing my classes through UCB Upright Citizens Brigade 
I know that they do have an online class of the sketch comedy and they have an online class of their improv. And I have a friend who's taking it online and is basically getting the same thing out of it. I think that sketch comedy is a lot easier to take online than improv, for example. So sketch comedy is writing comedy. Sketch comedy is writing comedic scenes where you'll write out, okay, this character is going to do this and say this and you're writing in a script format. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is super interesting, like where you are, it's one area that you're trying to grow. I'm trying to be funny. Yeah. Who are some of your heroes? Who are people that you admire? Could be because of their like comedic, I don't know, output, or it could be anything else. Who do you admire and look up to? Yeah. I would say my biggest people. There are too many. Let me think of some good ones. One of my all-time favorites is Ernest Hemingway. I think that his life was super fun. He lived in Spain for a while when he was young. I lived in Spain for a while when I was young. So I really like to read his writing and, and read about what he was up to. I find myself very drawn to people who are a jack of all trades. I call myself a renaissance man all the time because I can't commit to hobbies. My hobby is having hobbies. So I'm constantly learning new things. So I feel like the people that I look up to are changing constantly as I'm trying to learn something new is that I'll super deep dive on a person and figure out everything about what made them so great at what they did and anything I can learn from that. That's so cool that like my hobby is having hobbies. I feel the same way many times and I feel guilty about Definitely. wanting to learn and like learn and then move on to the next thing that I want to learn. Yeah, all the time. Um, so I think that's a very good optimistic way of looking at things, right? I'm not this is me. I'm a renaissance man. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> I think another thing that I wrote down here is your background. So you grew up in Oklahoma, but yeah. you're now in New York. And in between, I think you were in Spain, maybe Montreal, I like you were all like all over. So tell me about that. I did grow up in Oklahoma, suburbs of Oklahoma City. And then when I was 13, my family moved to South Florida, like West Palm area. While I was living down there, I met some girls who were from Spain and were planning to go to college in Spain. We became friends. I started visiting Spain with them. This was junior year of high school. So I was thinking about college, thinking about where I wanted to go. So I visited with them. I loved it, obviously. What's not to love about Spain? And then as it got towards senior year, I got more serious about it that I was really looking into the programs. I wanted to study international business. So it made a lot of sense for me to go to school in Spain. Whereas if I wanted to be a nurse, that would not have made as much sense, for example. So I was really lucky with that. I found a program that was all in English, which was great because I did not speak Spanish when I moved to Spain. I do now. I also love this program because it allowed me to study abroad for up to two full years of the four-year bachelor's degree, which is what I ended up doing. So I lived in Valencia, Spain for two years while I went to this university, Universidad Europea, very fun little school. I loved Valencia. I loved Spain a lot. And then COVID hit March 2020 was my sophomore year. That's early. Wow. It was. So that was spring of my sophomore year that I did online from my mom's house in Florida. I did a semester at home and then I realized that I was going a little bit insane after living on my own for two years. 
So I couldn't afford rent in the U.S. My rent in Spain was about $300 a month. Wow. Which you cannot get in the U.S. Oh, my God. Um, So I got a job as a live-in nanny with a family in Southern California. I did a second semester online from their organic fruit farm in Southern California. So I would do my schoolwork in the mornings while the kids were at school. And then I would have my full-time nanny job at night when they got home. From there, that was, yes, that was fall of junior year. Because I saw you, again, also LinkedIn in Amsterdam. Yes. So it went it went semester online for COVID. Semester online for COVID, but I was in California working remotely from there for fun. Then I was to Berlin. I did my, oh my junior God. semester. For- <sighs> That's amazing. The years aren't adding up in my head, but... I did my spring semester then in Berlin. It was fantastic. I loved it there. It was very deep COVID though. There was not a lot to do. What did you study in college? International business. And then I leaned into, as I got to choose more courses along the way, I leaned into a lot of marketing. And then in my senior year, I had three or four classes that were specifically social media marketing. So yes, then I spent a fall semester in Amsterdam fantastic. I loved it there. I almost moved there instead of New York. And then my final semester I spent at McGill in Montreal. And all of this traveling that you're doing alone, are your parents like, okay, Macy, are they worried about you? I'm just thinking female, this person from Oklahoma, like going all over the place. She's leaving at somebody else's house, looking after kids. Like what's, what are your parents thinking this whole time? I'm lucky to have the world's most supportive parents. My parents have always been of the mindset that whatever I figure out to do is awesome. Obviously, if I said I was like moving somewhere super known to be very dangerous or whatever, they would be concerned. But generally they felt like I was safe where I was. They would keep in touch, even though my parents weren't there as a safety net. My parents didn't know how to help me do this at all. They knew that I was with people who knew what was going on a little bit more and could help me out. That is, wow, that's so cool. I also lived abroad a lot. I lived one year in Spain. I did a summer in France. Oh. And I love traveling and figuring things out. And But it's always refreshing to see the same thing in somebody else. Because I, I don't see a lot of people like like us. Yeah, I think it's hard. Like I said, like studying international business, obviously it helped a lot more. If I wasn't studying something like that, it wouldn't have made as much sense. And then, yeah, like I said, my parents were completely supportive. They had no idea how to help me do what I was doing, but essentially they said, if you can figure out how to do it, we support you all the way. But we don't know how to help you. (laughs) That's how you ended up what you're doing now. I can see the connections between all your travel, life experiences, like this cultural like high fluidity that probably that you have and morning brew is I don't know but I can imagine crazy things happening all the time yeah it's a lot and it's true right it's like that (laughs) that's right it's like that is it a big team or a small team the social team specifically is myself my manager Uber Bautista and my coworker Evan for love who is also a social video producer The social team also has three people who work on our still image posts. Those three people essentially run Twitter, anything on Instagram that's not a video and LinkedIn and threads, which seems like a lot, but it's a lot of the same content. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It gets posted to all of them. Yeah. 
I, as somebody with, I have ADHD, like very like neurodivergent, like all over the place. I am really finding that people like myself are like jack of all trades or renaissance people. And as I am trying to build my brand of whatever this might end up being, I want to hire people or find people that can help me. And it's one of those things where should I hire a writer, like a video person, like an editor, like a copywriter? So if you could have one type, one person, what kind of person should I hire? I I will be the best person to help me like write, brainstorm ideas for videos, like edit a little bit. What do you suggest? If I was hiring someone to help me with my stuff, I would make a list of all of the skills involved. So the writing, the editing, the filming, all of that. And I would rate myself in each of those skills separately. And I would say, okay, I think I'm worst at the editing. I can get by editing. I edit a lot of my videos, but I use Premiere Pro like it's iMovie. I'm not getting fancy with it. So I would hire someone who is good at editing and okay at the rest because editing is the area that I see in myself as the weakest. But if you feel like you are generally pretty well-rounded, then get someone who's also generally pretty well-rounded or maybe someone that would have the same skill set but challenge you on ideas creatively or if you've seen past work and they work really well in a specific style or format that you like they can teach you how to move into that format when you say hire somebody who's well-rounded where could i find people like that i think it's interesting morning brew told you oh we hired you because you were doing like stand-up comedy and and i also notice that people who have experience with like comedy are actually pretty well-rounded. Like it's a different kind of intelligence that I notice in people who do comedy. Where would you suggest you should look here, like what kind of, I don't know, majors or what kind of people do you feel fit this well-roundedness more? I don't know of a specific major, but I would look for, cause I meet people all the time who work right. on through work, who worked on really cool channels in the past where I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you know how to do that? Or I have coworkers who are really well-rounded. So I might start with specific projects or channels that I really love and then start LinkedIn stalking the people on there. And then maybe you'll find that one of the editors on your favorite YouTube channel also used to work in something like also used to edit like feature documentaries. And you're like, whoa, that's a wide skill set. I feel like that's what I find out about a lot of my coworkers sometimes where I've known for a while that there's something very special in their talent. And then I learned something like that where like they used to have essentially an entirely different career and then it all makes sense why they're so good. Yeah, and, and I think that's what it is where it's something very unexpected. Like I did not know, Macy, that you were doing stand-up sketches and stand-up comedy, but now, oh, that makes sense. It, it's a very different skill and maybe that's a good thing to look for like a good indicator i also like to look for people who have hobbies like all of my friends have hobbies it's i think that just that desire to do something that you just enjoy doing and you want to get better at just because you enjoy it is a very good indicator of someone who's going to be pretty well-rounded i love that that's like super helpful and i don't know if you're still doing that but you recently graduated from school. Are you still like volunteering to like mentor kids or this is probably like maybe not anymore? 
Yeah, I volunteer with Big Brothers Big Sisters. What is that like? It's awesome. I actually just started that when I moved to New York. So a lot of what I did throughout college, like I briefly mentioned, is that I worked as a nanny to make money on the side. I did that in Spain. I did that for one semester while I was back in the U.S. in California. I love hanging out with kids. I think kids are super fun. So when I moved to New York, I was very conscious of the fact that, one, I miss having kids around in my life. I think as a young person in a big city, you're so isolated by age And I think it's super unnatural and weird and bad for our brains as humans to be that isolated into our age group. That's something I'm very conscious of. So I wanted to be around some kids. I didn't want to work as a nanny, obviously. And I had heard of Big Brothers Big Sisters before. And I also knew that I wanted to like get more involved in like my community. I see myself living in New York for 10 years or more. I want to be involved in the city. I don't want this to just, I don't want to feel like I'm just visiting here I want to be contributing to it. So I joined Big Brothers Big Sisters. Joining Big Brothers Big Sisters is quite a process. Obviously, before they put you in a one-on-one mentoring relationship with a child, they want to make sure that you're going to be a good person for that. That has been absolutely wonderful. It's really one of my favorite things I have going on in New York. So it's people in their 20s and 30s who want to support Big Brothers Big Sisters without the huge time commitment that is the mentoring relationship. Essentially, it's a social club that fundraises for Big Brothers Big Sisters. And we raise a lot of their funds every year, essentially. We have two big fundraising events. So I joined that. It's so much fun. I meet the coolest people. I am now their marketing chair on the executive board. So now I'm running that Instagram if you want to see more of my content. Oh, my God. Um, So you are running their Instagram on top of... Instagram now, yeah. I make videos for them, too, actually. When do I find, find time? It's, it is hard to find the time, but that one I keep super simple. So that one I know that I wrote out content goals for myself. And I knew that our incentive as the Young Professionals Committee is to grow our group, is to raise money for Big Brothers Big Sisters, and is to encourage other people to be a big, to show people what being a big brother or a big sister is about. So I focus our content around those things. So I try to keep it simple with pictures and videos from our events. Mm -hmm. Our events look really fun. I'm trying to make our Instagram page very accessible to someone who has no idea what the group is and maybe came across Mm -hmm. one of our reels. I'm trying to make it to where they can go to that page. They can see exactly what it is and join from there. For example, one of the first changes that I made was before to join the group, you had to send an email to the group to ask to join. And I was like, let's make a Google form where they just put in their name and email and we email them. And signups went up five times what they were before. So it's one little change. One little change because I knew even when I signed up, I was like, I don't know what to say in this email. I don't really feel like sending an email right now. I don't know who this is going to. To make it just where people put in their email helped a lot. Is that solely only in New York? No. Do you have that... Big Brothers Big Sisters is nationwide, and I think that Big Brothers Big Sisters around the country has uh, a Young Professionals Committee. If not, they do have other ways to get involved that aren't the mentoring relationship, which the mentoring relationship is great, and I love doing it. I do hang out with my little twice a month for four hours each time. That That's wonderful what you're doing. I, I really admire you for f- number one, 
thinking of doing it and number two, actually doing it, right? Like we all think about, oh, I want to volunteer. I want to do this. Oh, it it would be so nice if, but you're actually kind of like doing it. And I think I did not know that about you, but as I did more research and well, it's been so fun to get to know all of these pieces that like it's making you a whole and like a pretty cool person. When I, uh, I don't do TikTok and I'm only doing Twitter, YouTube, and I'm thinking about starting a new YouTube channel because like chance one was like dead. And I I just feel like I'm blacklisted from the algorithm. Like nothing that I'm going to do is going to revive it. So I might just start over. If you had to start over, there's so many platforms that you're looking at. Which platform do you see that has the most opportunity for growth for somebody who's just getting started? I really believe that it is TikTok. I think that TikTok is overwhelming and a little intimidating to a lot of people, which is super fair. But with things like just edit and cap cut, with things like just using the captions that are available there in TikTok, I think those things make the video production element easier. And then I think, for example, if you wanted to do like podcast clips from this on your channel, I think that you would just want to make each of them. You want to make all your content super specific. Don't try to make it a video that covers a million topics in one. If people are interested in the rest of the topics, they're going to go to your page and they're going to find the other videos that you've made about that topic. Eventually you can even make the little folders that are like, if you were doing like no show, no clue about TikTok. Like I'm scared of TikTok. Like I, I run away. I would say start using it a little bit and then you can get a feel for and start following people on there who make the kind of content that you might like to make and see what they're doing and see how they do it. The difference between TikTok and Instagram is huge. We have posted videos on TikTok and Instagram where the video on Instagram will get 200,000 views and the video on TikTok will get 5 million views. Wow. So that is one element of the difference is that I feel like sometimes TikTok just pushes a video more. That being said, a lot of our content bombs on TikTok and does great on Instagram. So I think posting on both and not getting down on yourself when it underperforms somewhere, because I am a full believer, you can't blame the algorithm for everything, but you can blame it for some things. (laughs) Content and repost it and see if the algorithm likes you better that day. Um, oh, interesting. I tell people, oh my God, I'm like, a, like, I'm in, like, I'm just really boring. That's why I'm like, I'm interested in like, how can I make myself funnier? Like, I, I want to learn and, and see if I can make that as my goal. But I just feel TikTok has to be fun, snappy, and, but maybe not. It definitely has to be snappy. I don't think it has to be fun. But the snappiness, I think you can get to. It's hard for me a lot of the times to get something to the final stages of an edit because you really have to kill the parts that you loved where you're like, I loved this little section, but it's just too long of a video and you just have to kill it and it hurts every time. But you do have to make it snappy. People don't have that long of an attention span. The other thing that I was gonna say about TikTok that really matters as someone trying to grow, if I posted the same two videos today on Instagram and on TikTok from the Morning Brew account, the Instagram one, will be almost completely shown to our Instagram followers. The TikTok one will be almost completely shown to people in their For You page. So TikTok is showing your content 
to non-followers at a much, much higher rate than Instagram is, which is absolutely essential in growing your account. Like, how does it work if you are like everybody is trying to penalize or punish you for any links going outside of their platforms for TikTok? Let's say like I get, I don't know, 200 million views. So what happens next? Is it like YouTube where they pay you? Like, how do you make it the most of that popularity? Yeah. So TikTok has a creator fund now, which does pay you like YouTube's. It's at a much lower percentage. It's not as good of a deal as YouTube's is, but TikTok does have the creator fund now. Now to qualify for the creator fund, you have to hit certain milestones. So I believe they just upped all the milestones. So you have to have a certain number of likes and views in the past three months. You have to have a certain number of followers, like flat total. And they're now trying to push longer content. So I believe that you have to have at least a few videos that are crossing that three minute mark Mm -hmm. and even getting closer to the 10 minute mark. Oh, wow. Because everybody's going to be the same now. Like short is becoming long is becoming short. Long, long is becoming short. It's a cycle. The other thing about TikTok, though, is that where you're going to make real money is ad deals and brand deals. Mm. You're never going to make as much from the creator fund as you will from doing one ad for a brand who wants to get in front of whatever audience you have. My God, like the things that I would talk about is like books I read or stuff, interesting articles. I know, but actually having to read articles. So I think a channel could thrive if you said, hey, look at this crazy article. Let me sum it up for you in 15 seconds. That could even be like a bit that you did. It's like, does this article sound interesting? Here's the summary in 20 seconds. And then that would, I would totally be hooked by that. And what kind of brands would hire me for doing that? Brands for that one, brand deals that fit are going to be a little harder. Yeah, right. I just feel like anything that I'm interested in, I don't see any way to monetize or any way to... Definitely, there's a way to monetize. Uh, like books and I love podcasts. So I'll be like talking about podcasts I like. <laughs> I, one of my favorite TikTok accounts is called Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Okay, I'm going to read that. And they just talk about celebrity memoirs that they've read. So they read the same one and then they talk about it on the show. They're summarizing information for me so I don't have to read the book because I don't want to read all those celebrity memoirs. I'm interested in what's in them, but I'm not going to read all of those. So I do think summarizing content. And then you could look at ways that they've monetized. Maybe a channel like that would get an ad deal with Audible and you could say, Sometimes you don't want to read the full book, but when you do, you should use Audible. <laughs> oh, Macy, you're amazing. And it was so fun to, to talk to you and so many interesting and like practical bits in today's episode. Uh, I know you're trying also to grow your personal brand, but if people want to learn more about you, where should we take them? Yeah. On Instagram, I am Macy.Gilliam, M-A-C-Y-G-I-L-I-A-M. And on Twitter, I am Macy Gilliam. Macy, what's next for you? Ooh, what's next for me? You're doing stand-up, any any goals that you have? I'm trying to be in my stand-up comedy era. I'm trying to attend at least one open mic a week. So I need to be writing more and going to more mics I loved my sketch comedy class. So another goal is to make my sketches at work better. I would say my only other goal is to start making sketches for my personal Instagram account that don't have to do with business news. Amazing. It was, this was so fun. (laughs) 
hope you had as much fun as I did. I absolutely did. This was great.